and I'm going to st start us off in our sermon. We're doing a little mini-series. It's called Prayerless and, and Limitless Lessons from the Life of Samson. Today's topic is, is prayerless. We're going to talk about prayer. We're looking at Judges chapter 13, uh, 1 through 14, and then one, one little verse in chapter 16. Let me just open us in the word of prayer, and we'll get going. Father, we open our hearts, God, to receive from you, from your word, grace, instruction, Lord, and exhortation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Judges 13, verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are a barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from. He did not tell me his name, but he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So the woman ran quickly, or then Manoah uh, uh, prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. I'm sorry. And Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, are you the man who spoke to this woman? He said, I am. And Manoah said, now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is to be his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. This is God's word. There's three things here that the writer of the book of Judges uh, in regard to prayer that um, I think the Lord is wanting to share with us today. Number one, don't be prayerless. Number two, pray in response. Number three, prayer of the deliverer. Don't be prayerless, pray in response, prayer of the deliverer. Typically speaking, as we think about hardships and you know going through life and we feel like we're losing we want to make changes at some point or other 
enough becomes enough and we feel the sense of something needs to be done differently whether that's procrastination and feeling like if you're a college student all those all-nighters that gets old after a while and you decide hey maybe i should plan life better plan my man manage my time better or if it's at work you know the way you know showing up late or how you deal with things and always feeling this sense of pressure or deadlines and you decide after after a while enough is enough i, I want to make some changes um the way that hardship does work in our life is it it affects our heart and it often leads to heart change you know if you're a parent that's what we bank on so when you know if you have a, a child and you're saying hey you need to go take a break over there you're 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 getting out of hand you're banking on the hardship being the thing that leads to a change of heart and certainly that's true in our relationship with the lord certainly that's the way that the that god interacts with his people and that's true in this passage um the problem is the israelites they didn't have a heart change the lord brought judgment upon them as we just read but they had no change of heart so our first point in the sermon is don't be prayerless don't be prayerless now you may be asking okay i i heard what you read i was reading along where do you get this idea of prayerless from uh, where does it say that anything or anyone was prayerless that's a great question in the book of judges there's two refrains that mark the book in the latter part of the book the refrain is there was no king in those days there was no king and the people did what was right in their own eyes so it really was a sense of no spiritual authority and therefore you do what you feel is best we can relate to that culturally. That's actually a 21st century cultural value of, of modern culture, Western culture. Uh, you be you, look inside yourself, see who you are, do what you think is right. Don't let anyone else tell you or keep you from being who you should be or doing what you feel is best. Uh, that was the book of Judges uh, as we read about the refrain in the latter part of the book. But for the most part, the other refrain that we see happening time and time again is that the people did evil in the sight of the Lord. And what that means is they rejected God's authority. Last week we heard from uh, Austin Berger and he talked about the hazard of syncretism, mixing our beliefs with the beliefs of the culture around us. Predominantly in the book of Judges, syncretism is not even, it's, it's, that's not even the issue it's far worse it's actually a apostasy they are fully turning their backs on the lord the people of god this is a period of time after they have entered into the promised land they were living in their land the book um prior to this uh in our bible is is joshua and you know joshua and the people of god had, had made conquests and they were settled in the land but there were still other nations remaining a remnant in the land and it was those other nations cultures and gods and worship um, cult systems that became a snare to god's people and they began to turn away from god after these other the lord after these other gods and idols and so we see that there is this cycle of sin and deliverance it's a cycle of sin and deliverance in the book of judges and what ends up happening is there's sin among the people, the people of God, 
then God judges by bringing oppression. Then the people, they enter into a place of prayer. They cry to God for help. God hears their prayer. He sends a deliverer. The deliverer dies. And then the whole cycle repeats. And so we'll see here that the, some of the language of this cycle of sin and deliverance is this. First, you'll see the people did evil in the sight of the Lord. Then you'll see instances, you know, this is happening in chapter three, a couple of times you see the cycle in four and seven and 10, but the Lord gave them into the hands of, and then it's one of their neighboring foreign um, neighbors and to oppress them. The people, they get tired of the oppression after so many years, they cry out to the Lord for help. The Lord raises up a deliverer, whether it's Ehu or, or Gideon or Deborah, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But then finally that deliverer dies and the cycle repeats. It's a cycle of sin and deliverance. But notice in verse one, we see that this is probably the fifth, sixth or so time that this cycle is starting. In verse one, it says that the people, they did evil in the sight of the Lord Israel, again, it was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. So you see those first two steps. People did evil, and the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines. And you read the next verse. Then uh, there was a, a certain man of Zerah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. Wait a second. There's no cry for help. There's no prayer. What's going on with that? Uh, the writers of Hebrew narrative, they're very subtle for our Western trained eyes and reading. They're not as, they're not always, they're not always overt. Uh, for example, you know, sometimes you might read the scripture and you think, well, you know, I don't like, it seems like people have a, a stumbling block over, it seems like in the Hebrew texts that women are treated low because there's this whole polygamy thing. Well, there's this, uh, famous Hebrew scholar, Robert Alter. He's a secular man, but he talks about how in the subtlety of the writing, when you look at all those instances where there's polygamy, whether it's Abraham or whether it's, um, you know, Jacob, uh, et cetera, et cetera, everybody is upset. Everybody's struggling. It's the, you know, the real housewives of thus and so is just a drama and it's a complete mess. And that's the way, that's, the, the, the writer's way of letting us know this is a bad idea. Um, and in this cycle of sin and judgment, there's a repetition. Sin and deliverance, rather. There's a repetition. And when we see that this repetition is broken, that's a red flag. And what the writer here is saying, they didn't cry for help. This is a prayerless people. The spiritual state of Israel God's people had gotten so bad that even oppression by what would become their arch nemesis, the Philistines, was not enough to make them cry out to the Lord for help. They were a prayerless people. And therefore, what we glean from this passage is don't be prayerless. Don't be like that. Don't respond in the oppression of your life and just figuring out things on your own or just trying to make things work the way that it always has, but rather turn to the Lord for help. Don't be prayerless. 
uh, don't be like them. When you look at the length of time that they were under oppression, 40 years oppressed by the Philistines. If you were to look at some of the other accounts of their oppression by other nations, uh, the Midianites, for example, when Gideon became the, the deliverer, the judge, um, all of those time frames were much shorter, eight years, 18 years, 20 years. This is by far the longest period of time. And so what we see is this heart, the hardness, the hardness of the heart is so strong that even after 40 years, there's still not a turn to repent. You would think after so long of carrying the burden of oppression, economic, political, military oppression, that they would desire to turn to God and say, Lord, we need your help. We need, this is not working. Enough is enough. Um, the Pilgrim's Progress, which is a great book, but this summer there's an animated movie that's out there, which you could Google. Um, and it, you know, details the, the, that story, the, the allegory. And my family and I, we were able to watch that. Of course, it was a little scary for our youngest two. But in you, when you see Christian, the main character, he's on this journey to find the celestial city and the burden on his back as he journeys grows and grows. He has plenty of time to realize, I want this off my back. The Israelites had plenty of times to realize, I want the Philistines off our backs, but they did not turn to God for help. They were a prayerless people. Don't be prayerless. The big question is, why? Why wouldn't they turn? Like 40 years, you would think that's enough for one generation to grow up, start having kids, and they're starting to grow up. Why did they not turn? Well, prayerlessness is a signal in our life of a deeper issue, a spiritual issue. And it's really a litmus test for our spirituality. And in the case of the, the Israelites, they were bankrupt spiritually. The, the reality is why they put, it up, put up with it for 40 years, Philistine oppression, is that their hearts were so fixed on the idols that they were going after. We read about in chapter 10 how the Israelites, they were worshiping the gods of all these other nations, including the Philistines. The Philistines' god or main god would be Dagon, who was responsible in their minds for many things, military conquest, fertility, etc. And so their hearts were going after, their hearts had attributed affection and value to what that God could offer to them such that they really didn't care what God, the Lord, could do or would do to them in the process. As Tim Keller says, sin is looking at something else besides God as your salvation. Sin is looking at something else besides God as your salvation. It's putting yourself in the place of God, becoming your own savior. We've all been there. We've all been there. And really, the Lord is admonishing us. He's encouraging us in this season of our life. Don't be prayerless. Don't let something else be the thing that saves you out of your predicament or what you would hope to save you, but come to him in prayer. Second point, pray in response. Pray in response. So first is don't be prayerless. Now pray in response. Uh, what does prayer and being spiritually attuned look like 
when there's such widespread spiritual decline? What, is, what does it look like to be faithful to the Lord when there's such a, a sliding away from God in the culture and the people of God who are supposed to be worshiping him? How do you pray God's will in a situation like this? Well, we see what happens in the life of Manoah and his wife. Um, Manoah was of the tribe of Dan. And uh, he and his wife, they lived in a territory very close to where the Philistine were, had a stronghold and where they were um, inhabiting. And it's interesting how the Lord picks him and his wife who are barren. God is gracious. God doesn't wait until the people, in this case, come to him in prayer. But he decides to take action on his own. Un unprovoked. I remember as a young missionary uh, just out of, of college um, and I was on uh, missionary support and really had a very tight budget. I saved up some money to go take my parents out to dinner. I'm the youngest of four. All of my siblings were, they were older than, they were teenagers when I was born. And so I always just carried this, I'm the baby of the family type, you know, stigma or whatever in the family. And so I tell my parents, hey, I want to take you guys out to dinner, going to pay for you. And then we go to this restaurant, um, you know, pretty nice restaurant. I don't remember which one it was. Um, something either steak or Italian, something along those lines. Anyways, we eat our dinner and then I go to pay. But then my dad grabs the bill. And I said, no, dad, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to pay for you guys. I want to take you guys out to dinner. And he said, no, 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 son, I, I got it. And what was he doing? He, he was saying, I see what you're doing. I, I honor what you're doing, but I got this. And, and the Lord, he ends up fitting the bill for the deliverer for the Israelites. But in their case, they, they, there, was no, there was no motion to even try to, uh, to, to beckon God, to bring him into the equation. God moves in his own mercy and grace towards his people. And he goes to this couple where the wife is barren and they are, uh, you know, evidently they are part of God's preserved remnant. When the angel of the Lord comes, Manoah's wife, she without hesitation receives his word just at his word. I'm going to have a child. I need to do this and that. She goes and tells her husband, Manoah, who doesn't have that phenomenalistic, uh, you know, encounter with the angel. And she says, here's what this, this wonderful being came to me who was awesome in appearance. And this is what he said. And there was no hesitation in Manoah. And so you see this couple, they, they're preserved. They are still, their heart is still for the Lord. They haven't gone after the other idols. And I really think it's amazing how here's a couple that's barren. And God picks them to be the one to birth the deliverer in the face of the nation worshiping a God that was supposed to to be a God of fertility. God is saying, I am the God of the womb. I am the God of fertility. I am the God who, of your posterity, of your, of your generations to come. As the angel of the Lord comes and explains this all to the uh, Manoah's wife, Manoah has the question, um, you know, what are we supposed to do? How do we raise this son? And so Manoah turns to God in prayer. It is a prayer of response. Manoah is not 
um, exalted in this text because he took upon himself to pray for the sake of the nation. Lord, do something about this sinfulness and send a deliverer. But Manoah simply prays in response to what God is doing in his life on his level. We're going to have a son. What are we supposed to do? There's some very interesting instructions about being a Nazarite, and we'll talk more about that next week. But how are we supposed to raise him? And so he says, God, you sent this messenger. Please send him back to give us some more instructions. Uh, I find it interesting, uh, as, does, as do many commentators, that the instructions that are given the second time are really the same as the first. However, what we do see is that God responds to Manoah's prayer. There's a, there's a distinct contrast between the people of Israel and their prayerlessness and Manoah and his wife and their desire to call out to God, we don't know what to do. Lord, tell us what to do. Give us instruction on what to do. And Manoah is not, in this instance, responsible to pray this grandiose prayer, Lord, do all these great things for the nation, but he's saying, God, we see that you're moving in our life. Tell us more. How do we respond appropriately to what you're moving in our life? Many years ago, probably many of you are familiar, it was a popular Bible study and um, you know, workbook series called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby and the Blackaby uh, brothers, I believe. Um, and the one of the main premises of the book was that rather than trying to go somewhere where you don't see God's activity and trying to bring God's activity to that place, Figure out where is God already working around you and go join him. And I really believe that that's the call to prayer in this particular instance. Rather than Manoah trying to figure out, okay, God, I don't see you working over here. Come and do something. He says, God, I see you working in our life. Lord, let your will be done in our life. That's how we could pray God's will in the midst of such widespread spiritual decline and bankruptcy. We, admit, we may admit, you know, that there's hardships in our lives. There's things going on and we know we're talking about it. You know, even tomorrow night, there's a meeting if you want to join for those trying to figure out the whole piece of education and, 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 uh, and how do we work through that. And that's a conversation happening in households all throughout Champaign-Urbana right now. Day to day, it's trying to figure out how do we do this? And the Lord's calling us not to be a prayerless people. Um, I'm so thankful part of that conversation tomorrow is going to be focused on prayer. But he's calling us to be a people that would seek him about his will. And perhaps uh, just to say, Lord, what are you already doing? What sign do I see that you're, there's already activity of God in my life? And Lord, let me start with that. I don't know about you, but sometimes prayer can be so overwhelming, uh, or at least the burdens of life can be so overwhelming. It becomes difficult to know where do I start to pray? Well, you can start by praying, Lord, I see what you're doing in this place. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in my family, what you're doing in my job, what you're doing in my health, what you're doing, et cetera, et cetera, and start there and go from there. We can start by responding to God in prayer. The third point is the prayer of the deliverer. 
the prayer of the deliverer. And we're going to take a look at that last verse from Judges 16, verse 28. Then Samson, he's a grown man now. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. What's going on here? This is a prayer of repentance. Um, Samson has lived this wanton life of, he is just all over the place. In summary, he's not a model for how to follow God. Um, but God blesses him up until the point where Samson forsakes his vow. His hair is cut, which was the thing he was, it was told of his mom and his dad to never let happen. But his, he, he let his hair be cut. He lost his strength and the Lord left him. And the Philistines overtook him. They were having this celebration because remember, Dagon is the god of military advancement. They were thinking, Dagon, that their main agitator, Samson, was now in their possession. They had gouged out his eyes, he was in chains, and they were all having this festival in the very temple of Dagon itself. Samson prays this prayer. And it's clear though, although his life was very checkered all over the place and there's really a, a, a syncretism going on in his life, He's, he is onboarding uh, Philistine ways. He actually marries a Philistine wife, which the, clearly the law uh, in you know, Deuteronomy says not to do. Um, and so he has this life where he's being pulled by various things. But in this moment, now that he's blind, he starts to see. He calls God's covenant name. Oh God, oh Lord God, oh Yahweh. And he's saying, remember me. What does he mean by remember me? He's saying, Lord, I know I've done wrong. I know that you've left me, my strength is gone, but Lord, I, I turn to you, remember me. We see that Samson is celebrated as one of the men and women of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And certainly he is a believer. He's standing in the very seat or place of idolatry in the house of Dagon, the very cultural influence that has drawn the hearts of the people of God away. And yet he says, Lord, I need you, my strength. And God uses him to destroy that temple and everyone in it. That's the prayer of the deliverer. His delivery or his being a deliverer, though, is not complete. When you look at all the other deliverers prior to him, there was a, there's a total, there's a sense of it brought full peace to God's people from their oppressors. It's not that way in this case. You see that things are really gone downward culturally, spiritually, morally in the people of God. But what is hopeful for us as Christians is that Jesus is the greater Samson. Samson, after a wanton, reckless life, prays right before his death, remember me, prayer of repentance. Christ after a righteous life, prays a prayer right before his death, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Samson prays a prayer of repentance 
Christ prays a prayer of rejection. Embedded in Samson's prayer is, Lord, I need you. The fruit of Christ's prayer of rejection for us is that we are accepted. Samson in his death destroyed a great number of his enemies. Christ in his death brought life to a great number of his enemies, you and I. We are the prayerless people, yet God in his grace intervened by sending our great deliverer, Jesus Christ, his son, via another miraculous birth to deliver us. Christ restores us from a place of rebellion against God, like the prayerless Israelites, to a place of submission to God and his will. How do we respond? Don't be prayerless. Don't be prayerless in this season when life is up in the air. Don't let the idol of resourcefulness and intellect and being able to solve problems be what you rely upon to get you through the season when everything is crazy, figuring out how to do life this fall. Rather, turn to God for help. Turn to God in prayer and turn to God in response to what he's already doing. I promise you, God is already working in your life. If you are his people, he's already doing something. His covenant, uh, he, he is bound by covenant to always be working and to never leave us, to never forsake him. Don't be prayerless. Respond, pray in response. And thirdly, practically, what I want to extend, do is extend an invitation to all of you for a corporate prayer time this Wednesday and next Wednesday at 7 p.m. Uh, you can check our website, the tcbc.cc, and scroll down for the Zoom link for the prayer time. But in this prayer time, this is an opportunity for us as a people to say, we don't want to be a prayerless people. We want to call on God for help in this season when we don't know what to do. We don't want to rely on ourselves. We want to rely on the grace that is available to us. We don't want to follow the culture and how they're solving problems or dealing with things. Lord, we want to follow you. We recognize, God, that you're moving, and we want to join you in prayer and beckoning your will to come. Our prayer life is a litmus test for our spiritual state. And corporately, I want to invite us all to come on out on Wednesday night, the 12th or the 19th. I know that there's many things going on in our lives. Obviously, if you can't be there, that's completely understandable. But we would love to see you for a one-hour prayer, you know, either or both of the next two Wednesdays. I'm thankful that the Lord is with us in this time. And may we be a people who give space for him to do what only he can do in our lives as we respond in prayer. And with that, let us pray. Father, thank you for your grace. There's a grace that comes to us through your word, and there's a grace that comes to us through prayer. We confess, Lord, we need grace in this season. Lord, may you do a mighty work in our lives as we respond, as we respond to you and to your word in prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.